0: series today called Red Letter Living. Red Letter Living. That means we're going to be looking at what is in the Bible in the red ink, which means that who said it? Can I hear that name one more time? Jesus, Jesus said it. Isn't that what it really comes down to? Isn't that why we're here? Jesus said it. We're here because of Jesus. Aren't we here solely because of the Son of God? Thank God for Jesus Christ. I want to turn to Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Red Letter Living. And I want to begin a series today on the Be Happy Attitudes. The Be Happy Attitudes, otherwise known as the Beatitudes. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught Them. Them. So, what we're about to read was family business. It wasn't for the crowds, it was for the disciples. Family business. Father, thank you for your word today. Bless it to our hearts in Jesus' name. May there be in this place divine illumination, that the Holy Ghost would open the eyes of our understanding, that, Lord, we would have personal revelation from the scriptures to us rhema words to our own hearts that we would leave changed transformed renewed by the word of God that our lives will be different because of this message today thank you for the red letters Lord in Jesus name now will you breathe a prayer and say Lord speak to me I receive your word in humility amen Well, God bless you. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, following verses 1 and 2 is Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. We've all heard the Sermon on the Mount. If you know anything about Jesus, then you've heard about the Sermon on the Mount. This is a capsulization of Jesus' sayings in three chapters Matthew 5, 6, and 7. If you want to know what Jesus said in a nutshell, if you want to kind of get it quick, read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. But Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount with what is called the Beatitudes, the B slash attitudes, the attitudes that should be, the attitudes that should be in our lives. The B attitudes are a presentation of the path of discipleship. They were Jesus opening salvo to the entire Sermon on the Mount, and they were taught, as I've said, exclusively to those who had given up everything to follow him, those who had committed their lives to him, those who had walked away from jobs, from homes, from families, and followed him everywhere. To these, to these, he gives this Sermon on the Mount, and he opens it up with the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes. We're about to see that the Beatitudes are simple in presentation. So simple. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn. They're going to be comforted. Simple. But they are totally profound in their meaning. They guide us. They point us in the direction of godly kingdom living. They teach us the way life works. And I believe that if we don't live life the way Jesus taught, life doesn't work. The mechanic who built the car also gave us an instruction manual. So the Beatitudes show us how life works. They show us what Jesus cares about. And I want to know what Jesus cares about. They let us in on what he cares about in you and me, what he's looking for in you and me, what he wants to develop in you and me. These character attributes or these values, if we develop them according to Jesus, we'll bring a believer into a state of peace and happiness here and now, right now in our lives, we will experience peace and happiness if we follow them, and they will take us to glory in the hereafter. So these beatitudes are for the here and now, and they're also for the hereafter. In the Old Testament, we see God giving them commandments. In the, the Old Testament, God, you know, Moses came down from the mountain, his face glowing in the dark, and he gave the Ten Commandments. But here's what he gave them to. He gave those Ten Commandments to really pretty wild, primitive people to keep them from evil. When you look at the Ten Commandments, they were primarily uh, uh, concerned with what you didn't do in terms of an action. You shouldn't do this or this or that in an action. so it was one-dimensional. But Jesus added two and three dimensions to the one-dimensional commandments when he dealt with the heart that motivated the action and not just the action itself. Jesus went deeper. That's why he always said, you've heard that it was said by them of old time, but I say to you. So he would come along and add width and and depth and height to a one-dimensional commandment. The Beatitudes take take the Word of God down into our hearts, down into how we live, down into our motives for things. The Beatitudes are given to Christians to show us what character qualities God wants us to develop that we might draw closer and closer to God, that we might live holy lives and how to be blessed people. And blessed or blessedness in the New Testament means the highest degree of happiness, everybody in here who wants to be happy and you know it, say amen. Amen. What we're about to see is that happiness is not dependent on a happening. That is, New Testament happiness is not the kind of happiness we know in America. You give me a new car and it makes me happy for a little while. Give me a new house, I'm happy for a little while. Give me a raise at my job and I'm happy for a little while. And a Western American happiness is dependent on a happening but not New Testament happiness New Testament happiness does not depend on a happening and I'm gonna talk about that just a moment now Jesus mentioned that many times or several times in the Bible that we need to be more like children in our attitude when it comes to receiving his teachings He said, you're going to have to become like a little child if you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, what is a little child? He's trusting. He's trusting. I can remember when my kids were little, standing them on the shelf. When they were little, standing them on a shelf, stepping back a little bit and saying, come to daddy. And they would just, and jump. Now, if you get an adult up there and say, come to me, they say, ain't no way, dude. I don't trust you. See, we learn to not trust in this world. But Jesus said, if you're going to receive my teachings, you're going to have to humble yourself like a little child and say, I don't know anything. I don't know anything. I thought I knew something, but I I really don't know much at all, and I'm receiving your teachings because your teachings are going to open the way for me to enjoy kingdom happiness, kingdom joy, and kingdom success. Jesus said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become as little children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself as this little child will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now we're going to notice that each of the eight beatitudes, and I call them keys. They are keys. Matter of fact, when I picture uh, the beatitudes, I picture Jesus handing us eight keys. Each one of the keys, because there's eight beatitudes, opens a crucial door to the kingdom of God. And they are successive. That is, they come in an order. They are progressive in their nature poor in spirit leads to mourning mourning in turn produces meekness meekness in turn births a hungering and a thirsting after god and so on and so on the beatitudes are progressive and we're going to look at two of them today because these two are the keys that open the door to the kingdom of god jesus right now if we'll receive his word is handing us keys he's handing us keys and each of these eight keys is tagged with a promise if we do what we hear it's tagged with a promise here are eight keys Jesus says if you obey them these are the blessings I'm promising will come on your life if you obey the keys I'm giving you today you will be blessed now I don't think there's anybody in here who wants to be cursed I don't think there's anybody in here who wants misery I don't think anybody in here wants to live in depression and and defeat. I don't think so. Jesus said, I'm taking you to the beginning. The beginning of the Sermon on the Mount is the beginning into the kingdom of God. When we're finished with this look at the Beatitudes, you're going to know them. You are going to personally know them. You're going to understand what they mean. And you're going to understand how to practice them. And if you practice them, you're going to experience what the word blessed means. Because every one of the Beatitudes begins with blessed. Blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed, blessed, blessed. Eight blessings. Now let me tell you what blessed does not mean when we hear Jesus say blessed. Blessed is not a word that describes someone who is fortunate or lucky. Somebody who wins the lottery, well, they're blessed, yeah, that's a blessing, but that's not what Jesus is talking about when he uses the word blessed. He's not talking about a full bank account. He's not talking about somebody lucky or fortunate or somebody born into a good family or born on the good side of town. He's not talking about somebody who has all the advantages of this world. That's not what he's talking about. Blessed in the New Testament understanding is somebody who faithfully walks in the way of the Lord by obeying his word. And they are the recipients of his blessing. Blessed is he who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the seat of sinners, nor walks in the way of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. He's blessed. The person who walks in the law of the Lord is the Bible understanding of blessed. We're going to discover in scripture that kingdom happiness is not an emotional high based on favorable circumstances, but it's a consequence based on obedience. Now I'm going to say that again. Kingdom happiness, kingdom blessedness is not an emotional high based on favorable circumstances, but it's a consequence of walking in obedience. So happiness is not luck, happiness is a consequence it's a consequence of obeying God. There is such blessing in obeying God. Now, when Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn. When he used the word blessed, here's what the New Testament meaning of blessed is. The highest level of joy and of a life pleasing to God. New Testament blessedness is the highest level of joy I mean, we're talking about happy, 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 happy. It's bubbling, 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 bubbling. Happy. Some of you need to inform your face it is possible for your mouth to smile. Because the word blessed means the highest level of joy. You can't have the highest level of joy and look like you were baptized in pickle juice. If you've got joy, your face is the greatest billboard for the kingdom of God that exists. Another meaning of happiness or blessedness, another meaning of Bible blessedness is supreme happiness. Supreme happiness. The Amplified Bible describes blessed this way, happy, to be envied, and spiritually prosperous with life, joy, and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation regardless of the outward conditions of that person. So no matter what's happening out here, there is something going on in here that is contradictory to what's happening out here. What is happening in here is happening in here because it's being dictated by another world, not this world. And we are accessing that other world by obeying God. And when we obey God, it releases the power and the joy and the waters of the Holy Ghost in our spirits. So what happens in here defies what happens out here so the person who is bible blessed bible blessed is happy to be envied and spiritually prosperous with life joy and satisfaction in god's favor and salvation regardless of their outward condition that's why paul could write from prison rejoice in the lord always and again i say rejoice what's the matter with you son have you lost your mind you're in prison ah but this world this prison is not dictating the way I feel what's dictating the way I feel is my obedience to God and I'm releasing the power of another world into my life by being blessed through obedience Mm -mm, I'm just getting warmed up I hope you're being blessed These definitions are why I like to call the Beatitudes the Be Happy Attitudes, the Be Happy Attitudes. Because if we adopt the Beatitudes into our life, there's no way around it. You're going to have joy. You're going to have joy. There's no escaping it. Well, then, Pastor, how come so many Christians look so glum? They're not living the Word. Now, let's read them. Matthew 5, starting at verse 3, if you got your Bibles. You can follow along with me, and we're going to do this every week because we're going to learn the Beatitudes. Matthew 5, verse 3, it begins, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You can read it with me if you want. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. I'm getting feedback, Steve, just a little bit. Thank you blessed are the meek for they shall possess the earth wow blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be say it everybody filled or satisfied so you can't sing with mick i can't get no not if you're walking in the kingdom of god isn't it funny christians don't know the beatitudes but they know mick but I'm here to say I can get some satisfaction. I'm sorry. Uh uh huh. Golly. By the second service, I'm feeling good. Y'all have to understand. All right. Now look what he goes on, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy, blessed are the pure of heart, they will see God, blessed are the peacemakers, they'll be called sons of God, blessed are they who suffer persecution for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Eight blessings, eight beatitudes, eight promises, Eight conditions that God wants us walking in. Let's talk about the first one. The first beatitude is: blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I want to be clear that I see these beatitudes as a progression. They begin at the beginning, that is, they begin at salvation and they move on. And what you have in the beatitudes is a picture of the progress of a Christian life. So it's, it's going to climb. We begin, as far as I'm concerned, with somebody being saved. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus used the phrase poor in spirit, he was not saying that the financially poor were blessed. He, he says poor in spirit, not poor in bank. He was not saying the financially poor are blessed because there's nothing spiritual about poverty and there's nothing spiritual about riches either. There's not anything spiritual about either extreme. Neither extreme prove anything about the spiritual condition of the heart walking in one or the other. Poverty-stricken people can be as arrogant and ungodly and as lost as the rich. They'll curse God just like the rich. Poverty doesn't make you spiritual and neither does riches. Neither do riches make you spiritual then what in the world does poor mean? Poor in this verse means somebody who realizes they have nothing and are completely empty in terms of spiritual riches. They have realized by the ministry of the Holy Ghost and only by the ministry of the Holy Ghost that they are spiritually in poverty. This is the condition of someone who's just about to be saved. I see in this first beatitude what it is like when the Holy Ghost first begins to deal with a person. Jesus talked about this spiritual poverty that all the world is in until they find Christ. Every person out there, they can be Donald Trump, they can be Bill Gates. I don't care if they've got billions, millions, trillions. It doesn't matter to me because the Bible says, Jesus said, you say, I am rich. I've prospered and grown wealthy. That may be true out here. It may be true in your bank account. And you say, I am in need of nothing, but you do not realize and understand that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. When it comes to the spiritual riches that enrich the soul and save the soul and enrich a life, you can have a billion dollars in the bank and have a hollow, empty, wretched, miserable soul. It has nothing to do, money has nothing to do with enriching a life with what really matters. The the poor in spirit, Jesus is talking about people who by the mercy and the grace of God wake up one day and go, oh, I'm, I'm poor. Have you ever had, have you ever had the bank call and say, thought you might like to know you've had some checks bouncing thanks a lot for telling me. I'm so glad you told me. Because if you hadn't told me, it would have been penalty after penalty after penalty. I mean, it hurts, but it's good for me to find out that my bank account is empty or I'm going to have so many penalties, I'll never be able to pay it back. The Holy Ghost is the banker. And before you know Christ, He comes to you and He says, I need to tell you, your bank account is empty. It's in debit. It's in the red." And every day that you go by without Christ, the penalties are being laid on your life. One sin after another, after another. And even though it hurts for you to find out that your bank account is empty, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who know it. Blessed are those who find out about it. Blessed are those to whom the grace of God is extended because the grace of God when it begins to deal with a life it's painful because the first thing the grace of God reveals to you is that you are poor in spirit and you go oh no 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 what am I going to do what am I going to do I'm glad you asked that says God because I showed you you were poverty stricken in spirit because I've got somebody who paid the debt he did not owe because you owed a debt you could not pay. And so we're going to see in the Beatitudes as they open up and as we progress through these, these Beatitudes that it begins with revelation of what we do not have, what we need that we can't supply on our own. Our true condition is revealed at the beginning of the Beatitudes because the beginning of the Beatitudes begins at the beginning salvation our whole world chases after physical riches to the exclusion of their souls and that's the tragedy of our generation we get all we can we can all we get and then we sit on the lid we get all we can we can all we get and then we sit on the lid i'm rich and have need of nothing. My 401k is bulging. I've got all kinds of money, and you don't know that you're miserable, wretched, poor, blind, and naked, unless by the grace and mercy of God, he shows you. Isaiah cried out, and he asked a penetrating, probing question I wish I could read on ABC, CBS, NBC, and CNN all at once. Why do you spend money for what is not bread, and your wages for what does not satisfy why are you spending your life away on things that don't satisfy? You get money, you want more. You get houses, you want more. You get jobs, you want more. The eye of man, carnal man, is never satisfied. Listen carefully to me, says God, and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. You see, the Bible puts a premium on taking care of your soul. amen. Jesus warned that you can gain the whole world to the neglect and loss of your soul. You can gain everything. But when you die, you don't take anything with you. I've done a lot of funerals. I've never seen a U-Haul at a funeral. But I have seen people there to get what was left. But I see at funerals a body in a coffin, period. The way you came into this world is the way you go out of this world. You can't take anything with you, but you can send some things ahead of you. Jesus said, store up not for yourselves riches on earth that moth and rust corrupt and the thieves break through and steal. That's Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6. But store up for yourselves, store up for yourselves, send ahead of you treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust corrupt and where no thief can break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. According to Jesus Christ, when we realize that we are poor in spirit, we're on the verge of discovering true riches. You got to go down to come up. The way in the kingdom of God is down and then up. Realizing we're poor in spirit produces humility. Now listen to me. Humility is the opposite of pride. Lucifer fell through pride and became Satan, the disembodied satanic spirit. The first sin ever committed was pride. Pride repels God. And I want you to hear me clearly today. Without humility, it is impossible to come to God. You will never approach God, never touch God. God will never have a part in your life as long as you're proud. I can tell you that all over America, there are thousands, probably millions of people who have not come down into an altar and gotten saved, have not responded to the call of God on their life, have not let him into their heart because they were worried about what somebody else thought. Pride. And what they don't realize is when they face God, none of those people are going to be standing next to them. They are going to be totally alone and naked standing before the the one with whom we have to do business. And nobody's opinion is going to have mattered and nobody's opinion is going to matter then, but God's. There's only one opinion we need to be concerned about, church, and that's God. What does God think about our life? What does God think about what we're doing? The next seven Beatitudes that we're going to be looking at are totally unattainable without humility. Though humility, or through humility, we're able to know ourselves, tell the truth about ourselves, not live in self-deception. See, when you're walking in humility, you can say, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. To be healed of almost anything, you've got to admit that it's there. And that takes humility. To accurately assess our strengths and deficiencies, you've got to be humble. Humility attracts the mercy of God to us and also inspires goodwill from others towards us. So what does poor in spirit mean? The poor in spirit realize this. They can never receive salvation on their own. And instead, they put their complete faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The poor in spirit realize that all their righteousness is, as Isaiah said, filthy rags in the sight of God. Poor in spirit means that we come to God conscious of our sins and our utter lack of our own righteousness. It means we profess that we are totally unqualified to commune with or have fellowship with God, and we don't deserve any of the gifts that God wants to give us of our own merit. It only comes through the merit of God's only begotten Son. That's what the poor in spirit realize. It means that we have no hope at all, not even a shred or a glimmer of it without Jesus Christ. It is to realize that we are full of sin and in desperate need of God's grace and righteousness, and the poor in spirit realize these can only be obtained by faith in Jesus Christ. The poor in spirit say, I am undone. In Jesus' famous parable found in Luke 15, we see how the prodigal son became poor in spirit the prodigal son in his pride and arrogance he left his father's house wasted his father's inheritance and fell into a great need in a far away country when you leave god folks you always end up in a far away country during a severe famine the prodigal son had no job and nothing to eat which is always how you'll end up if you leave the father's house you'll be famished in your soul And at that point, the Bible says something wonderful happened to him. It says he came to himself. And everybody who gets saved comes to themselves. That is, when he says he came to himself, what does that mean? It means he saw things as they really were, not the way he wanted them to be. See, when he walked away from his father's house, he was strutting. He was arrogant. I don't need you, don't need your stuff, don't need your money, don't need brother, don't need any of this, I'm going on my own. And strutting down the road to the far country he went. Now, for a while there, it was a contest between him and the father. The father knowing he was doing wrong, the son saying, I'll never admit that I've done wrong, never, never, never. I've done the right thing, made the right decision. And only when he got whittled down to nothing, and you will, did he then admit Man, the reality is I walked away from the Father and I've lost everything. He went back to his Father and here's what he said, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. That is being poor in spirit. Poor in spirit is also illustrated in Luke 18. Jesus tells the story of a Pharisee and a tax collector. The two men went up to the temple to pray. The Pharisee stood up and prayed this about himself. Listen to this Pharisee's prayer. God... I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, even this tax collector next to me. I'm better than them. Here's why, God, because here's what I do. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of what I get. I've never had a traffic ticket. I've never broken the law. I'm a good neighbor, good person. But standing off at a distance with the tax collector he didn't feel worthy to even look up to heaven. He didn't even look up. Keeping his eyes on the floor, he said, God, please have mercy on me for I am nothing but a lowly sinner. That's poor in spirit. What was the result of the prayers of these men? The Pharisee went home condemned while the tax collector went home justified, which means just as if you never did it. That's what justified means. Justified, just as if I never did it. The promise is that the poor in spirit are going to enter the kingdom of heaven because they come to God having full knowledge of their own lostness and sinfulness. What's the reward when you admit I'm poor in spirit and if Jesus doesn't touch me, I'm gone? That person is going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's talking about saved. Saved. The poor in spirit are those who put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. Now, the second beatitude is blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted now I see this second beatitude as a natural progression from the first one when we realize we're poor in spirit it's because we become aware that sin is in our lives now I want you all to hear me on this one we realize that sin not a character deficiency not something we inherited from daddy, granddaddy, great-granddaddy, not when we're blaming our drinking and drugging on some ancestor, but we say, I have sin. And we begin to mourn over it. When we realize we're poor in spirit, we become aware that sin is in our lives and it causes mourning. Now, can I say sin here today? Because in some churches, you can't say it anymore. I want you to know as long as we're here, we will say sin because you're not ever going to be healed until you say sin. You got to admit the word sin. I just heard somebody say, thanks a lot, Mildred. I thought we were going to hear about how to get rich, how to get blessed and visiting this church. Praise God. My toes are killing me. Listen, I'm telling you how to get blessed and how to get rich and it's God's way. It's the beatitude way say amen now the one who mourns realizes that only through the grace of god does he have forgiveness and salvation jesus says such a person is blessed happy to be envied spiritually prosperous when you say i am empty of any righteousness of my own and i have sinned you are just a step away from the kingdom of heaven and until or unless you say that you'll never know the kingdom of heaven Do you mourn for the sins you've committed? Do you mourn? The Bible says that no one mourns the way Jesus was talking about unless the Holy Spirit convicts him of sin and reveals to him he's a violator of the laws of God. You see, folks, when we realize, oh, no, not only do I have poverty in my spirit, but I've sinned against God. Oh, no, I've sinned against God. I've hurt the Heavenly Father. I've hurt him with my sin. That's a great, great day. Do you know there's a disease that you can be born with? And this disease causes you to have no nerve endings, and you can put your hand in a fire and not feel it. You can have somebody hit you and you don't feel it. You can fall and break your leg and you never know it. You don't feel it because you have the incapacity to feel pain. And do you know what the Bible is telling us right here? That it's the mercy of God and the grace of God. When you and I feel conviction over sin, because until the holy ghost touches us and we see our sin as sin and bring it to the savior who died for our sins we are numb through sin and we've got that same disease spiritually we're stumbling we're falling we're wounding ourselves all the time and don't even feel it don't even know it because we've got a disease called sin and it numbs our conscience to even knowing we're sinning so it's a great day when god says hey you're in sin and you it and you get convicted, and you say, God, forgive me, I've sinned, I've hurt you, I'm so sorry. That is the day you are waking up and coming to yourself. <laughs> I can feel. And all of a sudden, your conscience wakes up, and the things that you used to do without blinking, you can't do anymore because you're convicted. You know that it's sin, you know that it's wrong in the eyes of God. People who mourn realize. That They have violated God's law and under the conviction of the Holy Spirit will declare that not only are they spiritually bankrupt, poor in spirit, but they are completely lost without Jesus Christ covering their sin. The person who does not mourn over their sins feels that what I'm saying to you today is stupid, that it's foolishness. Paul said the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who perish. And so they are like the psalmist talked about. The wicked are too proud to seek God. God is not in any of their thoughts. And so when you see somebody who lives in sin and they seem to be prospering, the Bible says don't envy the sinner because their day is coming. Don't be deceived by watching somebody who's in sin and it looks like they're living the good life. No. Payday just hasn't come yet. But there is a way that seems right to a man. But the end of it is the way of death. Walk with God. Walk in His Word. Obey His Word. Get your Those buried in the scriptures and walk with him. And there is a reward to those who seek the Lord. The good news is, is this morning I'm talking about this, oh, I've hurt God, my sin, I've sinned. That morning, the Bible says, Godly sorrow produces repentance that leads to salvation. What is the promise to those who mourn? They're going to be comforted. Comforted, Jesus said, I'm going to send you another comforter, and he's going to abide with you. But you know what? The comforter of the Holy Ghost doesn't comfort sinners. It doesn't comfort the wicked. The Holy Ghost convicts the wicked, but comforts those who repent. So blessed are those who mourn and repent of their sin that now they see For they shall be comforted by the comforter who is called the Holy Spirit. They will be the ones who are going to be comforted. Only those who repent experience the comfort of the Holy Ghost. You're just sitting there and say, Lord, I know I did something wrong. I know I sinned. I know that it wasn't just a mistake. I know that it wasn't just, you know, some wrong habit. I sinned. And when I call it what it is, he forgives me of my sin, cleanses me of all unrighteousness, and he comforts me by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Comforts me. The Bible says in Luke 15, this young man, this prodigal son, after he has come to himself, realizing he was a poor, wretched, miserable sinner, it says he approached his father Father, I've sinned against God and against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Just make me a servant of yours at the lowest rank, for I need to be comforted. Help me, for I am lost. Now, the Pharisee would have said, sinner, go back to the pigsty where you came from. You messed up, but not God. We need to be so careful we treat people like God treats people. Because it says... God, or the Father in this story, ordered a great celebration. He hugged and kissed the son. He gave fine garments for him to wear. He told the servants to put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet. He said, this son of mine was dead, but he's now alive. He was lost, but now he has found what awesome comfort this son experienced when he came home admitting his sin through mourning over it. So blessed are the poor in spirit Wow, I'm spiritually in poverty without Jesus. And not only that, but I need to be mourning over my sin, for they shall be comforted, and the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Can we stand together today? And I want you to say something with me, can you? Say, blessed are those who realize their poverty of spirit, for they shall turn to Christ, and heaven will be theirs. And blessed are those who mourn over their sins from Holy Ghost conviction, for after repenting, they will be comforted by the Holy Ghost. That is what Jesus was talking about. Now, next week, we're going to talk about the meek blessed are the meek what in the world does that mean is that wimpy